she'll make you do simple high football push-ups. Um, all right, so we've been doing a series called Why We Don't Believe. might be a weird title because you're thinking, well, we're supposed to be Christians. Of course, we believe. So why is the title Why We Don't Believe? Here's why. Because I think you guys struggle with the same kinds of questions that even unbelievers struggle with. Unbelievers have questions like... If there's a good God, why does evil and suffering happen? How can there only be one true religion? What about science? How does that reconcile with the Bible? There are all kinds of questions people have that keep them from faith. In the same way, there are questions. I think Christians have those same questions. So we're exploring these many questions throughout this series. Throughout the fall, we'll be doing a question each week. And, uh, and so today, the question is, how can a good God allow suffering? I think a very relevant question for probably what many of you all are going through even right now. Um, I'll start though by telling you a story. Uh, I was at a, um, a gas station recently filling up our, um, our car with gas. We have a Suburban, so it takes like a half hour to fill it up with gas. And uh, I was sitting there, I had a lot of time on my hands, so I'm reading the fine print on some of the signs that are on the gas uh, pump. And um, I'm reading down through this list, and it says, okay, before you gas up your car... Uh, make sure you turn your car off. That's one. Okay, I did that. It says make sure you don't smoke. Okay, no worries there. It says uh, make sure you don't let a child pump the gas, which I'm like, that's never going to happen, right? Three and a half years, never going to touch my my car with the gas deal. Yes, it's not going to happen. Um, but the one on the very bottom really kind of got me, okay? It said this. It said, please discharge your static electricity. Before pumping gas. Okay? Did you guys know that it said that at the gas station? On every pump it says, Please discharge your static electricity before pumping gas. And I'm thinking, who has ever done that? Right? Like, who has ever walked up and been like, Okay, uh, check, don't smoke, turn the car off, no children, um, touch something metal, you know, okay, I'm good to go. Right? Like, who's ever actually followed that rule? Okay? But you have followed this rule. Okay, good, good for you, Brandon. Uh, but here's my question. Um, my, my guess is that they have it as a rule because it's probably happened before, right? Like, I'm sure at some point in history, someone has statically, like, discharged and the gas tank just blew up, right? Right in front of them, and it was all because of static electricity, and it killed them, okay? That had to have happened somewhere in history, I guess, which is why they thought of that rule, all right? Now, here's the observation. Can you imagine if you had a relative or a friend that this is like how they died, okay? Like, how did your friend die? Well, they had static electricity, and they blew up. Gas just blew them up, you know, to smithereens, okay? And so... I started thinking about, like, all the random ways in which people have died throughout history. So I did what every good American does, and I Googled, okay? So I Googled, and, and here are some, just a few crazy death stories, all right? And uh, you can laugh at first, but they're going to cry the rest of the sermon this morning, okay? So um, here's a guy uh, named Alex Mitchell. don't know where he's from, but apparently he laughed for 25 minutes, and he fell over dead. Okay. I don't know what caused him to laugh that hard, but he fell over dead. 25 minutes, fell over dead. All right, listen to this. All right, another guy, listen, another guy 
who was an attorney, he was a lawyer, um, he was trying to prove that a window on a high floor of a building was strong. And so he ran into the window to show someone else that it was strong, but it wasn't strong. (laughs) And he fell to his death, literally, because of this whole deal. Um, All right, there was a, listen, listen, I have a couple more. There's a Brazilian woman, this is actually really sad, a Brazilian woman who was sitting in a hearse, Carrying her husband to the gravesite, the car, a car behind them strikes a hurt, the hearse, okay, hurls the coffin forward and actually killing the wife as well on the way to the gravesite, okay. This is sad. This is sad, obviously. These are all sad, but this is actually not funny but sad. Um, it's true, listen to this one. It's true that, um, that nationwide, 30 people a year are killed on elevators, okay. Think about that next time you get on the elevator. 30 people a year are killed on elevators. I don't know if that means like that they fall or how that happens, but they're killed on elevators. Yes. Uh, on an elevator and by an elevator. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the elevator has a knife that comes out and is like, I don't know how this happened, okay? It just happened. Hey, don't ask me details. I'm just telling you the facts, okay? All right, one more. This last one is really sad, but like in a different kind of way. Um, There was a girl who, listen to this one. She was competing in a contest to see who could drink the most water without going to the bathroom, okay? And she actually died from water intoxication. And she did all this because she was trying to win a wee. She was trying to win a Wii, and that sad. Sad on so many levels. Okay? All right. All right, now here's the deal. Listen up. Listen up. All right, these are kind of like easy to laugh at because we didn't know these people. At least I hope we didn't know these people because otherwise I'm really offended to a lot of people here this morning. But, but if you knew them, Here's my point. If you knew these people, you would be asking why. You'd be angry. It, I mean, seriously, if someone that you knew died in the most random way or just it happened like this, you'd be asking, what is wrong with this world that we live in? Why? How could God let that happen? Where was God in the middle of that incident? It, it seems so random, so harsh. On a more serious note, Our speaker from last weekend, Michael Kelly, something he didn't tell you guys about himself is that he has a six-year-old son who, when he was two years old, was diagnosed with leukemia. And he was under chemo for three years. And he just got off chemo. He's doing well right now. And they're just praying and trusting God. I mean, six years old, he's got three kids. This is his oldest kid. Six years old, all the kid has ever known is hospital rooms, chemotherapy, He lost his hair. I mean, he knows suffering. He knows suffering. He also lives in Nashville, where, as you know, there was a massive flood a while back. His house was totally flooded, totally gutted out. Uh, When I called him to come speak with us, he was actually living with relatives at that point. Right now, his house is partially usable. They're doing what they can. They had no flood insurance. They had to pay for their entire house to get fixed and remodeled out of their own pocket. I mean, he knows suffering. Many of you in this room have gone through just horrible, horrible circumstances in your own life. You've gone through suffering. And so, 
We, we seem to live in this world that seems to almost have no conscience. A, a world that does not discriminate based on age, status, wealth, or religion. And so the question that many have is, if God's in charge, then why does so much suffering happen? So the question we're looking at today is, how can a good God allow suffering? So I want you to answer your first two questions at your tables. They are these. When in your life have you ever asked this question? And secondly, how much do you really struggle personally with this question? Go ahead and discuss for a few moments. I want to read you a couple of uh, quotes from people that have struggled similarly with this question. Here's a quote. All I have is a first name. It was from a book that I read. Uh, But this girl said, I just don't believe the God of Christianity exists. God allows terrible suffering in the world so he might be either all-powerful but not good enough to end evil and suffering, or else he might be all-good but not powerful enough to end evil and suffering. Either way, the all-good, all-powerful God of the Bible could not exist. Someone else said, I won't believe in a God who allows suffering. Even if he, she, or it exists, maybe God exists, maybe not. But if he does, he can't be trusted. You may have felt that way before as well. Um, recently, my, uh, my son is three and a half. We're walking down the street on a walk. My wife and I and him are walking. We're pushing our new baby in the stroller. And Lane is at the age now where he likes to ask lots and lots of questions. And he's actually stumping us now. We're like, I'm not sure I know that answer to that question. Let me get back to you on that, son. Uh, and um, he's asking us questions that we're, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I never thought of that before, you know. And uh, anyway, things like, well, this is an example of, this isn't a question I can answer, of course, but it's a question that is, is very deep in his little world. Um, we're walking along on the street. He'll look at everything. He'll go, Daddy, who made the trees? And I'm like, well, well, God did, son. Uh, Daddy, who made the grass? Well, that was God, too. Then he goes, Daddy, who made the mailboxes? And I'm like, well, that's a little more complex. God made people and gave them the ability to... Take things out of the earth and mold them into mailboxes. Alright? I'm like, I got past that question. Okay? Then he asked the question, walking along on the road. He looks down at the the asphalt, the the pavement on on the road, and he goes, Daddy, who made those cracks? And I'm going, okay. Uh, I'm starting to squirm like, all right, how do I explain this to a three-and-a-half-year-old? He made the cracks. All right, well, you see, son, um, I can put it very simply for you. In God's sovereignty, he allowed the cracks but didn't actually cause the cracks. So um, you could say that um, God didn't create them, but he allowed them, okay? And my son's going, I want a cookie. <laughs> Thank you.
So, but as you think about the question of evil, it's very profound how at such an early age, he sees things that are wrong. There's a crack that shouldn't be there. Why is that there? Who made that? Did God make that too? I think the question is very profound when you think about it because it's a very relevant question. If there is all this evil and suffering in the world, cracks as it were, then who allowed the cracks? Who made the cracks? And it's a question that stumped many people and keep many from faith because they blame God for those things. And the question is relevant because their question is, well, if God's all-powerful, He created everything, then who made the cracks? Our lives, our world has cracks in it. Evil and suffering is everywhere. You can't avoid it. So how do we handle it? Look at James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1. We're going to stay in just these little eight verses today. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And if you don't know where James is located, it's just after Hebrews. If you don't know where Hebrews is located, I can't help you. Sorry. Um, Turn to James chapter 1, and we'll read this together. I'm going to ask you guys a lot of questions this morning for discussion over this passage, so be ready. James uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here's what it says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings, he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The next three questions, three, four, and five. First of all, who wrote this? What do you know about him? Number four, who is he writing to? What do you know about their situation? Number five, what do you think James means when he says to consider it pure joy when facing suffering? And what's the difference between happiness and joy? Go ahead and discuss. Okay, help me out. Uh, okay, who wrote the book of James? James. Good answer. Alright, what do you guys know about James? Okay, Jesus' brother. Excellent. Alright, so what, do you, what else do you know about James as a person? Anything else besides his name and he was Jesus' brother? What else? What else? Okay, he's a servant of God. He says that in his letter. Did someone say something over here? Did I hear someone shout something? Oh, that was already said. Sorry, a little late for that party, my friend. Um, okay, here's what, really important. Listen up. This was Jesus' brother. I want you guys to know that this guy did not come to faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior until after the resurrection. So for 30 some odd years, he knew him just as his brother did not even believe that he was the Messiah. Your own family doesn't believe that you're the Messiah. Okay? 
he comes to faith after the resurrection, I think is, a, is an amazing proof for the resurrection. The fact that someone like James, who knew Jesus his entire life, came to faith in him as his Savior after the resurrection, shows me that he must have seen something pretty dang miraculous. Okay? So, to me, it, it, it's, a, it's a great proof for the resurrection. The fact that James was an unbeliever, totally didn't believe, then came to faith miraculously after the resurrection. Once he saw that, he said, okay, now I believe. Now I believe. He's writing to people, he's writing this letter to people who have been dispersed by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, people who have been oppressed, abused, tortured for their ethnicity, for their faith. And so you can imagine, they're asking the same question that many of you have asked at times in your life, why God, why? They're going through persecution. They're going through trials. They're going through sufferings. So when James says the phrase, consider it pure joy, you can imagine the way that the people hearing this would have received it. Some would have said, wait, what? Consider what I'm going through now, these beatings, these lashings, how I'm being persecuted, how I'm suffering for Jesus. Consider that joy. Consider it joy? How can you say that, James? And so if you're, if you're someone who just reads the first part of verse 2 where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The next question, of course, would be, Okay, tell me why. Why can we consider it, why, how can we consider it pure joy when facing trials of many kinds? Okay, next phrase, tell us why, James. Tell us why. And so James does tell us why in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Trials are anything that tests your faith. Anything. To test your faith. I want you to go through questions 6, 7, and 8. Here's what they are. It says, in what ways can trials or the testing of your faith be a good thing for your faith? Number 7, verse 4 says, this perseverance leads to what? Question 8, suffering leads to perseverance, which leads to completeness or wholeness. What kinds of things are added to someone's life as a result of suffering? Go ahead and discuss I know you're still discussing some of these. I want to take a couple of these and address from the front before we move on to the next main point. Um, the sixth question was, in what ways can trials or testing of your faith be a good thing for your faith? Um, let me just say it this way. Uh, tests, any kind of tests, reveals something that's already there beneath the surface. I'll explain what I mean by that. The test that you take in school... Whether you want to admit it or not, they reveal intelligence or ignorance. Right? They reveal something that is beneath the surface. So the test brings to the surface something that is already there. Okay? So here's what suffering does. People's reaction to suffering is often this. 
I was going through life. I had a great walk with God. Me and God were great. And then this suffering thing happened. And then I changed because God did this to me. Let me put forth to you the idea that you didn't change when that suffering took place. That thing inside your heart was already there. And the suffering brought it to the surface. The test brought that thing to the surface. So if you're rebellious against God after you've suffered, after you've experienced suffering of some kind, let me just tell you that rebellion, the seed of that rebellion was there before you suffered. The suffering brought it to the surface. It was a test. It was a test. I also want to tell you uh, this morning that, um, that I think God does that. I think He brings to the surface those kinds of things because now you can repent, right? It's in that moment you can say, okay, God, I was not aware what was really inside my heart until this thing happened. Now I know. You've shown it to me. Now I can repent. Now I can turn back to you. That's what God's doing. That's what He's doing. I also want to address just quickly uh, the last question. Suffering leads to perseverance, which leads to completeness or wholeness. What kinds of things are added to someone's life as a result of suffering? All of us have heard people say things like this. Because of this trial, because of this suffering, my life now has this. Because, because I lost this, I gained this over here. There's this idea that that when you lose one thing, you gain something even more valuable. It's as if those who have suffered have something that they didn't have before. You've probably heard people say things like that before. Things like, when I went through this trial, this suffering, my life lacked this, fill in the blank, and now it has that. There was one man uh, who said... This is a guy who was a uh, a guy who had been he lost his vision as a result of a uh, a drug deal gone bad. Someone shot him. He lost his vision in his eyes. So here's what happened. Here's what he said as a result of his tragedy. He said, "As my physical eyes were closed, my spiritual eyes were open. I finally saw how I'd been treating people. I changed, and now for the first time in my life, I have friends, real friends." It was a terrible price to pay, and yet I must say it was worth it. I finally have what makes my life worthwhile. When we suffer, something is taking, taken so something better can be gained. God is adding something to your life that wasn't there before. This is why James can say, so that you can lack nothing. God is adding something to you in the middle of taking something away. Verse 5. What is something that we need in the middle of suffering? We need wisdom. That is the thing that you need the most in suffering is wisdom. It's not that you just need it to stop, which that will be helpful in most situations. But you need wisdom. And James knows this. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it. But here's the thing. How you ask for that wisdom is important. He says, ask in faith, not in doubt. You see, when you ask in doubt, when you ask God for wisdom in doubt, the Bible says you are double-minded, you are unstable. Now, the word that's being used in this verse is basically the word psycho. Okay? Right? 
I looked it up. In the Greek, it's a, it's a, it's a alliteration of the word psycho. Okay? Someone who's got two minds. On the one hand, they are asking God for wisdom, but they don't believe that He can give it. They doubt. They doubt. And so I want to just stop briefly here just for a second as we look at this, this phrase, unstable in all his ways, you're double-minded. Guys, I see this in high school all the time. Not that you guys are just psychos. I'm just, let me just bear with me on this. Okay? I see all the time in, in, in this ministry someone who can serve, they can even do impact, they can, they can be just on the team when it comes to following Jesus, loving Jesus, being passionate about the walk with God, and the next month, I'm going, what happened? Now you're dating this person, they're not a Christian. Now you're living this way, now you're living that way. You're just totally off kilter. What was that back there? And now look at you now. Like What's, what's going on? Double-minded, unstable. Someone who doubts God, but says they believe in Him at the same time. I see it all the time in high school ministry. There's a few points I want to show you here at the end that I think can wrap up these ideas on evil and suffering, and it's this. First one is this. Evil and suffering isn't evidence against God. If someone comes to you and says, um, how can there be a good God, or how can God even exist if there's all this evil and suffering in the world? I want to address this briefly. You see, some people think that because there's all this pointless evil in the world, at least they can't see a point to it, then they think God can't exist. But I want you to get this. Behind that statement, there's this idea that if evil appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless. Right? There's this idea that if if evil appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless to God as well. Okay? Like God's up in the sky saying, like, hey, how can I make so-and-so's life miserable? Right? And, And so over time... Many of us see um, even the good that comes out of certain situations. If you look at your life, you can see certain good things that came out of a suffering situation. And so here's the question I want to ask you. If, If God can show you a glimpse of some good right now that has come from some suffering you've gone through in your life, then why can't there be a good reason for all of it? You just might not be able to see it yet. The next point. Evil and suffering, I think, is evidence for God. I'll explain what I mean. Some say, how can a good God exist when there's all this evil? Um, Let's turn the question around. If there is no God, then on what basis do you call anything evil? Right? I want you to get this. If, If there is no God, then on what basis do you call anything bad or good? On what basis do you call anything good or evil? Right? If someone murders someone else, then on what basis do we say, if there is no God, on what basis do we say that that was wrong? If evolution is true and it's survival of the fittest, then it should be okay for the strong to kill the weak. But none of us believe that. Even the atheist doesn't believe that. So how do you make sense? How do you call anything evil or bad if there is no God? You see, here's the deal. Explaining evil might be a problem for Christians. I admit it. It's hard for us to um, 
wrap our minds around evil and suffering, wrap our minds around these kinds of things. But it might be a problem for Christians to explain that, but it's an even greater problem for unbelievers. Because if someone's not a believer, on what basis do they say something's evil or something's wrong or something's not right? How do they do that? And so here's what happens. When some suffer, they abandon the idea of God. They start to move away from the idea of there must be a good God because they've, they've suffered. They start to abandon that idea. I want to caution you with my next point here that that might not be the best thing to do. Okay? Next point. God may not give all the reasons for suffering, but he gives us the resources to get through it. God may not give us all the reasons for our suffering, but he gives us the, reasons to get, the resources to get through it. I will say this, that in, in the New Testament, there are plenty of examples of, of why God allows suffering. I just read you some out of James. But God doesn't give us, I don't pretend to have the answer as to why something happened in your family. If you came to me and said, Dave, why did this happen to my family? I can't sit there and go, well, well let me tell you how that, why that is. I'm not going to try to do that with you because what you need in that moment is someone to care for you, someone to love you, someone to just shepherd you through that. You don't need reasons why, necessarily, in the middle of a suffering moment. You need someone to come alongside you and care. That's what you need. And so God might not give you all the reasons all the time, but He gives you the body of Christ, a resource to get through suffering. He gives you His own Son, Jesus Christ, who suffered immensely for you and me, as a resource to look at. He gives you the cross as a resource to remember and reflect on and look at, knowing that Jesus Christ cared so much for us that He entered into our suffering. That's what He did. That's what He did. So when you and I ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering? The answer can't be because He doesn't love us. Because He does. He showed us that at the cross. I want to close that with two quotes for you to think about as you leave today. This one's by a guy named Erwin McManus. He says this, We should not be surprised that a lifelong journey with God might bring us suffering and hardship. If the cross teaches us anything, it teaches us that sometimes God comes through after we've been killed. There are times that there are people that lose their lives that we have no idea what God is doing in the middle of that. Only God does. Even His own Son, who who was killed and resurrected, the Bible says that the resurrection of Jesus is like the first fruits. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hope for us to hang on to, knowing that we'll one day be resurrected like He was. That's what it is. You see, here's the, here's the reality. Suffering, for some of you guys, suffering might be the only time in your life when you take God seriously. It might be the only time in your life where you really recognize what's important and what's not important. In fact, I would say that in a moment of suffering, people tend to move quickly towards God or run completely away from Him. They never stay in neutral. And so my hope is that it doesn't take tragedy for you to take God seriously. For some of you guys, it will. It might. My hope is that it doesn't. One last quote from John Piper. He said this, Will you waste your suffering? Will you use suffering as an excuse to reject God? Or will it lead to greater worship of what is really true? The only thing that is real. I want to invite you this morning that if you are someone who is not a believer this morning, this question has kept you from Jesus. 
I want you to know this morning that this question cannot be used as an intellectual excuse to reject God. You can't do it. Because if you reject God because of evil and suffering, my question to you is, well then how do you explain evil? How is anything evil? How is anything bad in this world? You can't reject God as a reaction to this question. You can't do it. So the next question is this. Why aren't you moving towards Christ in the middle of that if you're not a believer? And then secondly, if you're a believer this morning, but you're struggling with this question and these issues in your life, come and find us. Come talk to us. Like, we need to be a resource for you to walk you through that, to guide you through what God wants to do in your life as a result of whatever you're going through in your life. And believe me, the stories in this room, I know there's countless stories in this room of people suffering, things I know nothing about. So use us as a resource to help guide you, to give you wisdom, as James talks about in this passage. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for being a God that does care enough for us to enter into our suffering through the cross. We thank you so much for being a God that, um, that, that wants to give us some of the reasons, not all the reasons, but some of the reasons why we suffer. But you also give us the resources to get through it, God. We thank you so much for giving us the church, giving us your son and giving us the cross to reflect on in those times. We thank you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Love you guys. And if you're staying for G Group Leader Meeting...